Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, December 14th. In today's news, Russian government hackers are behind a broad espionage campaign that has severely compromised U.S. agencies, including Treasury and Commerce. The first vials of the coronavirus vaccine arrive across America. And Cleveland's baseball team plans to drop the name Indians after 105 years. But first, the big idea. State and local officials of both parties are warning that President Trump's increasingly desperate tweets about election fraud are fueling the potential for violence, as well as another ominous trend of 2020, in which public servants are targeted at their offices and homes with armed protests, harassing phone calls, and stalkers. Last week, an enemies list of state and federal officials who reject Trump's baseless election conspiracy theories floated up from the dark corners of the web, with home addresses listed and red targets over their photos. The list falsely accused swing state governors, voting system executives, and the former top U.S. cybersecurity official responsible for securing the election of, quote, changing votes and working against the president in a treasonous attempt to overthrow our democracy. The names from the list shared on social media included the hashtags Remember Their Faces and No Quarter for Traitors. Over the weekend, demonstrations by Trump supporters in D.C., Olympia, Washington, and elsewhere turned violent with four people stabbed in the nation's capital and one person shot in Olympia. These kinds of conflicts, coupled with increasingly personal attacks on public officials, are raising fears of worse to come. Neither the White House nor the Trump campaign responded to requests for comment. As electors plan to meet later today at the Michigan Capitol, state Senate and House offices will be closed because of, quote, credible threats of violence. That's according to a news release that went out last night, from the office of Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, a Republican. Gabriel Sterling, a Republican voting official in Georgia who was also on that creepy enemies list, describes mounting threats to rank-and-file staff. He said there are random people now standing outside county-level election offices. At one in Cobb, a warehouse manager was simply taking the trash out to the dumpster, and he had somebody accost him last week with a camera and start yelling that he's going to prison for stealing the election from Trump. Hannah Knowles, Annie Gowan, and Tom Hamburger report that hate crimes rose to some of the highest levels in decades after Trump said of that 2017 demonstration in Charlottesville by white nationalists and neo-Nazis that there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. Then in April came Trump's all-caps call to liberate Michigan, which inspired hundreds of liberate pages on Facebook, which reached millions of users. In early October, federal officials announced that they had foiled a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Authorities charged 13 people with what they say were plans to overthrow the government and ignite a civil war. Armed protesters again gathered at the Detroit home of Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson on Saturday night as she finished stringing holiday lights and prepared to watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas with her four-year-old son. Echoing Trump's unfounded claims, protesters chanted, Stop the Steal. The scene was scarier here in our capital city on Saturday night. D.C. Police Chief Peter Newsham said detectives believe 700 Proud Boys, or people supporting their cause, descended on downtown, with 200 anti-Trump protesters moving about as well. In the melees, eight officers were injured, one seriously from being 
struck in the face with an object, causing multiple fractures. In all, police say they arrested 33 people on charges that include assault on officers, weapons violations, resisting arrest, and disorderly conduct. Black Lives Matter banners and signs were torn down from two historic black churches and set on fire by these so-called Proud Boys. Asbury United has stood at the corner of 11th and K Northwest since 1836. Metropolitan AME at 15th and M Northwest was where Frederick Douglass worshipped. Meanwhile, at that very hour in Kentucky, as a rabbi prepared to light a menorah on the front lawn of a Chabad house near the University of Kentucky's campus, a black SUV screeched outside. The driver shouted anti-Semitic slurs. When a community member stepped in to intervene, the driver grabbed his arm and sped away, dragging him for a block and then running over his leg. After dragging the man through the street, the driver sped away. The victim, who has not been named, is in the hospital with injuries that thankfully are not life-threatening. Police have video of the incident and are looking for a man in his mid to late 20s who remains at large. The Chabad of the Bluegrass had already been vandalized this year. Someone bashed its sign in a few months back. Someone else damaged its menorah last month. On Saturday, as bystanders rushed to help the guy who'd been dragged by the car, the injured man insisted that the ceremony continue before he get medical attention, even though he was in agony. The Chabad's rabbi told the local TV station, WKYT, that the injured man said, quote, First, let's light the menorah. I'm not going to allow that to stop us from celebrating our faith and spreading the light. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one, U.S. government officials are scrambling this morning to assess the nature and extent of the intrusions into their system by the Russian government and implement effective countermeasures as soon as possible. Ellen Nakashima and Craig Timberg report that all initial signs suggest the Russian breach was long-running and highly significant. These Russian hackers, known by their nicknames APT-29 and Cozy Bear, are part of the Kremlin's Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR, and they breached email systems in some cases. The FBI is investigating the campaign, which they fear may have begun as early as spring. The victims have included government, consulting, technology, telecom, oil and gas companies, and others in North America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. That is according to FireEye, a cyber firm that itself was breached. FireEye says all of the organizations were breached through the update server of a network management system made by the firm SolarWinds. SolarWinds said yesterday in a statement that monitoring products it released in March and June of this year may have been surreptitiously weaponized in what a they described as a, quote, highly sophisticated targeted attack by a nation state. SolarWinds's monitoring tool has extremely deep administrative access to a network's core functions, which means that hacking that tool would allow the Russians to freely root around the systems of victims. APT-29 compromised SolarWinds so that anytime a customer checked in to request an update, the Russians could hitch a ride on the weaponized update to get into a victim's system. FireEye is calling this Moscow malware Sunburst. SolarWinds products are used by more than 300,000 organizations across the world. They include all five branches of our military, the Pentagon, State Department, Justice Department, NASA, the Executive Office of the President, and even the National Security Agency. The matter is so serious that it prompted an emergency National Security Council meeting on Saturday. Number two, 
Nearly 3 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine are expected to arrive at 145 facilities in the United States today, marking the beginning of a massive logistical effort to stop the rampant spread of the contagion, which has so far killed more than 298,000 Americans. The vaccine will arrive at nearly 500 additional sites on Tuesday and Wednesday. But even as state officials scrambled to distribute the first doses, they criticized the federal government yesterday for a lack of transparency and limited financial help, warning that both could hamper efforts to quickly vaccinate the most vulnerable populations, including frontline health care workers and the elderly. As the vaccine doses made their way to hospitals, CDC Director Bob Redfield gave the final nod and greenlighted the decision to recommend Pfizer's vaccine for those 16 and older. Additionally, the governors of California, Washington, Oregon, and Nevada announced Sunday that an independent review of the Pfizer vaccine found it is safe for public use in those states. More than 16.3 million Americans have now tested positive, and an average of 2,470 people have died of the virus every single day for the past week, a pandemic record. We are almost certain to cross the 300,000 threshold in the coming hours. Paulina Ferrosi, Merrill Cornfield, and Josh Dossi report that a large proportion of America's population, 70 to 80 percent, are going to need to get the vaccine before we achieve herd immunity. Monsef Slawi, the chief science advisor to the White House Operation Warp Speed, said officials hope to reach that point between May and June. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar said Sunday that the plan is to have 20 million people vaccinated by the end of this month, up to 50 million people by the end of next month, and 100 million by the end of February. That includes plans for a second vaccine developed by Moderna, which is expected to gain emergency authorization from the FDA in the coming days. Meanwhile, some sad news from Africa, where the prime minister of Swaziland has just become the first head of state to die from the coronavirus. Ambrose Lumimi, only 52 years old, died at a hospital in South Africa, where he was taken after testing positive last month. Number three. Stanford University's mascot used to be the Indian, but students saw it as insensitive, so they voted overwhelmingly to change the mascot. That happened in November of 1970. Just over 50 years later, the owner of the Cleveland Indians has finally come to the same conclusion. The Major League Baseball team will drop Indians as its name, according to my colleague Dave Scheinan on the sports desk. The change could be announced as soon as this week. It follows a similar move by Washington's NFL team in July to drop Redskins as its name and compete in 2020 as the Washington football team. It's not immediately clear what the new name for the Cleveland baseball team will be, whether it's been chosen or whether it will be in place for the 2021 season, which is scheduled to begin April 1st. The team has been known as the Indians since 1915. But long-standing pressure on the organization to change the name intensified this year during the nation's public reckoning over race and social justice issues. The move to drop the name comes three years after the team announced plans to drop its chief Wahoo mascot, a caricature that was used as a logo on caps, uniforms, and other merchandise. That change was phased in beginning with last year's season, with the mascot replaced by a Block C design. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, December 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. Spread the light. I'll talk to you tomorrow.